Titus chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Now, the book of Titus is the third in a set of epistles that are known to Bible students as the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. The reason they are called that is because Paul is writing to three uh, relatively young men. They are younger than Paul. They are convert to the Apostle Paul's ministry, and they are also serving in the gospel ministry. This is why they are referred to as the pastoral epistles. Now, do not let that uh, infer to you there is nothing in these chapters, nothing in these verses that applies to you. You may say, well, I'm not a pastor. This has nothing to do with me. There are principles and truths and doctrines that are in these verses that we have even read this morning that are applicable to us all. By way of introduction, I want us to note the apostle in verse number 1. The Bible said, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. We learn two things here about Paul in this phrase. First of all, we learn that he was available. He said, Paul, a servant of God. This deals with his ministry. He was a servant. Long before he ever mentioned that term apostle, he said, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That goes back to what we preached a few weeks ago out of 1 Peter about humility, how we ought to serve God and serve one another. There are no big eyes and little U's in the work of the Lord. Amen. There are places of leadership, places of authority. We understand that. But everybody ought to be a servant. Our Lord was an example of that. Philippians chapter number 2, John chapter number 13, and don't forget John chapter 21. He made breakfast for those backslidden preachers that couldn't catch nothing that night. Alright? He was serving others. He was a servant. If the Lord Jesus Christ was a servant, then how much more should you and I be a servant in the work of the Lord? Somebody said, well, I'm going to go to church and serve God. You don't serve God going to church. Can I get an amen out of that? When we come to church, we come to worship Him through the singing, through the testimonies, through the prayer, and through the preaching of the Word of God. But when we walk out those doors, amen, that's where we're serving. I understand when we're cleaning the building. I understand mowing the lawn, doing things around. That is acts of service in the work of God. But I tell you, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, we call, we ought to call them worship times, not service times. We don't come here to serve. We come here to worship, amen. The reason some people want to call this service is because they don't want to do nothing for God out them doors. They want to say, well, I'm serving God by going to church. You're not serving God by going to church. You ought to be going to worship God and, and, and give God glory and appreciation for what He's done in your heart and life. Paul was a servant, but then he was an apostle. This deals with his message. Of course, being an apostle means that he saw the bodily resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That happened on the Damascus Road, and that happened in Acts 14 when he died at the stoning there in Iconium. He saw the Lord. If a man was going to preach the gospel the death, born resurrection, he experienced the resurrection, amen. Not just spiritually, but physically. That's what Paul is enjoying in our text. We notice the apostle in verse 1, but then notice the acceptance in verse 1. I'm getting where I want to go in just a moment. Notice this little phrase, 
according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth. There's a lot of people lose their mind over that phrase when they read the, the, the uh, according to the, the faith of God's elect. But do not let that bother you. Somebody said, well, uh, does that mean we're Calvinists? Does that mean that God chose some to be saved and God did not choose others? I like what one writer said I read in a book this week. He said, suppose a man's house caught on fire and he found himself faced with the fact that he had five children trapped in that burning house. Suppose he had the power to save all five, but only chose to save three of them. He'd be a monster. That's what Calvinists teach when they say God chose some to be saved and chose some to go to hell. They're, they're equating God to what that man would do. I tell you, He has the power to save all. But what's the contradiction of Calvinism in verse number 1? According to the faith of God's elect. Romans 10.17 tells us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is a response to the Gospel. Faith is a response to what God has put towards you. How can a man who's already elected and he can't do nothing about it, how can he respond in faith if he doesn't have a free will? Somebody says, well, how do you explain election? Well, God has elected that everybody can be saved. That wants to be saved. You just have to accept the fact that you've been elected. Are you hearing me? It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the will of God, but you have a choice on whether or not that you will receive Christ as your personal Savior. Then we notice not only the apostle, the acceptance, but notice the aim. Watch the verse number 1 again. Which is after godliness. That's not a dirty word. That's a Bible word. Godliness. Godliness, and one writer said that godliness is the theme of the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1, you have godliness in the church. Titus chapter 2, godliness in the home. And Titus chapter 3, godliness in this evil present world. We notice that in verse number 2. Verse number two notice the assurance. I love verse number 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. I preached this before. That word hope is not saying I hope uh, that Brother Charles buys my lunch today. That means it may happen. That means it probably ain't going to happen, alright? Hey, I know he would if I needed it, alright? That's not what that word hope means. That word hope there means an expectancy. It means that you have an assurance that something is going to happen. I dealt with this in Tennessee this week. That word hope, that word it gives, it means expectancy. And one of the root words of that is a cord. C-O-R-D. One right I read behind tied that to the umbilical cord when a woman is with child. And that umbilical cord, if you study out, uh, if you study that out, it gives that baby all the oxygen, all the nutrients, everything it needs to survive. That umbilical cord is an expectation. It is a hope. It is something that is keeping that baby. By the way, that is a baby in that mother's womb. Can I get amen out of that? It is keeping that baby alive until the day it is placed in his mother's arms. Amen. Well, I want to remind you that we have a hope this morning that has given us everything we need until we are safe in the arms of Jesus on the other side. Paul said in hope of eternal life, which God, he didn't say that he would not lie. He said that he cannot lie. He is an honest and a holy God. So we see the apostle, we see the acceptance, the aim, the assurance. But I'm interested in verse number 3 this morning for the rest of my time. I'm interested in the avenue. 
What was the act? I mean, this is a great message that Paul has mentioned briefly in these verses. The fact that God wants to save man. The fact that God has, has given His Son and given eternal life and made that promise. How would He get this message out? Look at verse 3. What's the avenue? Behalf in due times manifested His Word through gospel singings. Is that what that said? Some people talk that's what they think it means. All the people at the quartet convention this week, somebody help me, amen. Manifested His words through through family reunions. Manifested His word uh, through uh, through seminars. No, He manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God. Our Savior. I love you. I don't know if you ever looked up the word preaching in a dictionary. You probably wouldn't. That's a preacher thing. We just like to look words up. Uh, but that word preaching, if you look it up, it means the proclamation of the King's Herald. What they had back in the day before Facebook, email, snail mail, all that. If the King had a message uh, that he wanted to get out to the kingdom, he would commission a man to be the King's Herald. And the King would tell that man what to say. And that man would go out in the street and he'd say, Hear ye the word of the king. He wouldn't tell them what he wanted them to know. He wouldn't tell them what he thought. He would simply repeat what the king said. He would literally begin to preach. He would begin to declare what the king had already said. You know what God wanted to do in these days? You know what God, how God wanted to get that message out? He wanted to have some men be a herald for him. He wanted to have some men uh, to be a herald for the king that would go out and preach what thus saith the Lord. We're living in a day where preaching is ridiculed. They mock it. They don't like it anymore. But they never have liked it. I'm reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness, but to unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. God chose preaching, even though it's ridiculed. God chose preaching even though in this day and age it's been reduced. Now I know some guys that need to put a clock on the pulpit. Can I get amen out of that? Yes. Amen. I mean, I mean, I, I'm a 30 minute preacher. I'm like, you know, I'm like Rachel Ray's 30 minute meals. All right, Doctor Sight said it's over 30 minutes. And I'll be a series. That's just how I operate. That's how I've trained my preachers. Uh, I'd rather leave them wanting more than saying, "Oh God, is he almost done?" All right, and these ki- I tell our guest preachers that come to preach. I said these kids around here will let you know when thirty minutes is up. They got an internal clock. They know when the preacher should be winding down. Now y'all gonna be watching today, see what happens. You watch thirty minute mark. They'll be like, all right, pack up the lunchbox, time to go home. But uh, it's been re- what I mean by reduced is they'll have an hour and a half of singing and a thirty second Bible verse. Come on now, they 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 don't have pre- they reduce it. They've redacted it. Well, just don't preach on this. Don't preach on that. And you can, you can deal with this, but, but don't deal with that and don't say that. And in a lot of places, they've just replaced it. How to be a better you. How, how to pay off your debt in ten years or less. Quit buying junk. Wasn't that easy. Have y'all enjoyed my financial seminar? I need to take my own advice. Amen. What I'm saying, though, is it's a replaced preaching. With everything else, everything else, but but Jesus, the Word of God clearly says that in due time He has manifested His Word through preaching. I wrote this down: without the preaching of God's Word, you have no New Testament church. 
You don't have a church if you don't have preaching. You might gather with people. You might have some fellowship. But they're having fellowship down at the ball game today. Amen. Just because you got fellowship don't mean you have a church. Preaching is, the church is always centered around the preaching of the Word of God. And we need some preachers. Somebody say, well, I ain't a preacher today. Well, let me just preach at me for a minute, all right? Let me just preach to the preachers today, amen? We need some preaching in this day. There's three things about preaching in this verse. First of all, I want you to know that preaching is timely. Watch what he says in verse number 3. He said, but in due times hath manifested his word through preaching. That little phrase, due times, if you look it up, if you study out that phrase, that due times, it means the period of human history. That means there's never been a time when there wasn't supposed to be preaching. Even during the tribulation period, there's going to be an angel flying through heaven preaching the everlasting gospel. Even during the tribulation period, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists that will be preaching, that will be declaring the Word of God even during that time. Even during the millennial reign, there will be preaching. I think there's going to be preaching for all eternity because God has chosen the foolishest, of, not foolish preaching. I have heard that. And I've done a little of it myself. But I'm talking about He has manifested the foolishness of preaching. You look at preaching human, humanly, you look like a fool. Get up here hollering, yelling, sweating. I mean, it's just, it looks foolish. But it ain't about the preacher. It's about the message. It's about the proclamation. It's about the truth. Preaching's timely. Preaching was timely during Noah's day when it was dark times. The Bible said that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You know what he was doing? He was preaching when they didn't think much of the home. He said they were married and given in marriage, but he was still preaching. He was preaching when the only thoughts of their heart was on evil continually. But you know what Noah was doing that day? He was still preaching. Somebody said, Preacher, it's a bad day we're living in. It's a wicked world we're living in. What are we going to do? I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to keep on preaching. Amen. That's what Noah did. He kept declaring the Word of the Lord because preaching makes the difference. Preaching is right during the dark times. It's right during the defiled times. Over there in the book of Jude, talking about Enoch, he prophesied the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment. You know what he's doing? He was preaching against the sins of his day. Amen. Preaching is right during dead times. Ezekiel 37, God told Ezekiel, go down to the valley of dry bones and prophesy. Go preach. Lord, they're dead. Yeah, but go preach anyway. I preach in some dead churches. You can't preach in you can't preach as me. I'm at private. You can't preach as many places I do. Everybody ain't having camp meetings. Somebody help me. There's some they sit there and just look at you. And it ain't always the size of the crowd. I preach in big churches that were dead in the hammer, and I preach to twelve that had a had a good spirit, a good touch of God. But it don't matter if they're shouting or they're or they're sleeping. He said to preach. Preaching during disconnected times. Boy, that's where we're living at now. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, Paul begins to give all that information about the last days, perilous times. Men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godness but denying the power thereof. Is that where we're living at today? 
But watch the admonition later on in this text. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Chapter 4, he said to preach the Word. It don't matter how disconnected they are. Here's what Paul was telling Timothy. Here's what Paul's telling Titus. You preach when they want to hear it, and you preach when they don't want to hear it. Why? Because preaching is timely. It's always right to preach the Word of God. Preaching is timely in our text. But secondly, in our verse this morning, preaching is truth. He said, but in due times, but in due times, but, but hath in due times, excuse me, manifested His Word through preaching. That word manifested, it means to make known. I, I, I try, I am a preacher, I've been preaching uh, this past Friday night, I stood 21 years ago and preached my first sermon. And I'm still still working on it, amen. If there's a preacher who's not trying to grow in his preaching and not trying to sharpen his gift, he might as well just quit. I try to read books on preaching. I try to study after men. When I'm with a, when I'm preaching for a man or preaching with a man that I highly esteem of the Lord as a great preacher, I don't know about you, I, Brother Dax, I, I pick his brain. I mean, how do you study? What do you do with this? I want to be better. I want to be the best preacher I can be for the Lord, but I want to be the best preacher I can for my congregation. And so I, I begin to think this way: what what should preaching be? What should preaching do? Well, I'd say the first thing preacher ought to do is ought to explain the scriptures. What does this verse mean? What does it say? Not what I think it means. You know what that involves? It involves having a study. That's why I need you to pray for your preacher. That's why you need to pray for me. You need to pray that as I study and labor in the Word, that God will show me what the verse means and how to apply it to this congregation. The book of Nehemiah, Ezra the scribe stood, and they read the Word of God distinctly and gave the sense thereof. They said, here's what it says. Here's what it means. Preaching ought to explain the Scriptures. I'll tell you what else preaching ought to do. It ought to expose sin. When, some, when somebody gets up to preach, you ever heard somebody preach, Brother Eric, and almost say something? I remember up for 45 minutes and they almost said something. They almost said something bad about the devil. It ought to expose sin. It ought to say, this is wrong. Ought, we ought to preach on sin generally, generally and we ought to preach on sin specifically. Amen. I ought to preach on my sin. I ought to preach on your sin. Because all sin is wicked before God. Preaching on... Here's what God told the prophet Isaiah. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Why you got to yell while you preach? He said, lift up your voice like a trumpet. And show my people their transgression. And Israel their sin. Expose it. Show this is not right. This is wrong. Preaching ought to explain the Scriptures. It ought to expose sin. Every sermon ought to exalt the Savior. Every sermon ought to lift up Jesus Christ. Even when we're preaching against sin, the reason we should preach against sin is so we wouldn't break the heart of God and we can magnify the holiness of God through our body, through our spirit, through our life. It ought to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, there's a few preachers that when I want to hear, there's just some men that, that, that we all ought to lift up Jesus. There's just some men, they can do it better than others. I'll just tell you, I, I, I love, y'all don't know this man, I'm going to try to have him sometime. The Lord gives me liberty. liberty. Brother Rudy Smith, he passed down in Pickens, South Carolina. I tell 
said, ain't nobody can brag on Jesus and lift Jesus up any higher than I've heard Brother Smith do. And I tell you, that encourages me. Hey, makes God big. Amen. Hey, lifts Him up. Hey, magnifies Him. That's what preaching ought to do. Oh, when you leave, they said years ago, back when Spurgeon pastored, they said a man oh, went to that church that morning to hear Spurgeon preach. And Spurgeon preached that morning. And when he, that man left the service, he said, my, what a preacher. And he went back that night and heard a young preacher who had just preached his first sermon all nervous. And he simply preached John 3.16 with tears rolling down his face. And that same man walked out that night and said, my, what a Savior. Amen. That wasn't Mr. Spurgeon's fault. It was that man's position wrong. It was his perspective was wrong. I tell you this morning, you ought not leave and say, oh, what a great preacher we have. But you ought to leave this morning and say, oh, what a great God we have. Oh, what a great Savior we have. That's when I know I have been successful in my preaching. When people go out and say, boy, ain't God good? Ain't He wonderful? Preaching ought to exhort the saints. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. That word exhort means to call one aside. It means to deal with them personally. You know what preaching ought to do? It ought to deal with you personally. Personal sins, personal, personal struggles, and personal sorrows. That's what preaching ought to do. Preaching ought to evangelize sinners. Amen. Preaching ought to present the gospel in such a way where sinners will hear that gospel message and want to be saved. By the way, I'm preaching this morning on the importance of preaching. It's important this morning. It's vital. I'll tell you what else preaching ought to do. It ought to engage service. In other words, it ought to make you want to do something for God. I tell you, I've heard some men preach when they got done. I was ready to go do something for God. Why? Because that man motivated me? No, because the love of Christ constraineth us. And He lifted up my Savior. And He showed me what my Savior's done for me. And I wanted to take what God had done for me and take it to somebody else. I'll tell you what preaching ought to do. You ought to expect something. When Peter got done preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.47, then people looked at him and said, what shall we do? That's what preaching ought to do at the end of the day. ought to make somebody say, what am I going to do with what I've heard today? What are you going to do with what you hear? So I said, preacher, this whole sermon has been directed towards preachers. Hang with me. Well, I'm, I'm going to get to you in a minute. Amen. I'm just preaching to the verse. Preaching is timely. Preaching is truth. But then look on to the verse. Preaching is a treasure. Look at the verse. But hath in due times manifested His Word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Preaching involves three things. First of all, it involves a man. God has a man. Amen. I'm not trying to be crude this morning, but God ain't never called a lady to preach. He calls men to preach the Word of God. That is not male chauvinist. That's just, the Bible said, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Romans chapter 10, though, we know this verse, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that not right? Do you know what Romans 10, 14 says, though? How then shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how, they, how, how shall they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach? Here's where we come in as the church. Except they be sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report, so then faith cometh by hearing, 
and hearing by the Word of God. Preaching involves a man. God calls men to preach. He don't call them to be pop artists. He don't call them to be popular. He don't call them to be punks. He calls them to be preachers. A preacher ought to look like a preacher, carry himself like a preacher. You know, everybody's been talking about this uh, this dude that looks like Gru up there up north that's a senator. Come on, parents, you know who Gru is. Despicable me. Don't he look like Gru? What's his name? What's his name? The dude that wears the sweatshirt. Who? Fetterman? Fetterman? I don't even know his name. Yeah, I figured you would. And he voted for him. And... Uh, he had a sign in his yard. I noticed it in the garage the other day, man. But he been fussing because he wears a, a hoodie and shorts to the Senate floor to vote. And the Democrats moved... The Democrats, imagine this. They moved this week to make it mandatory that if you was going to vote on the Senate floor, you had to, had to have on a suit, a shirt, and a tie. Democrats. I'm like, well, you got to tip your cap sometimes. Boy, they got a boy. But you know what? There are preachers that only have that conviction. Now, I know on the mission field sometimes, Brother Daxel, where you're out, especially out there in the Philippines, I know that's not where you're at, but those, they wear them bolos. Why? That's their culture. You don't walk in with a suit, shirt, and tie in the Philippines where it's 185 degrees. Somebody help me. But we're not, my problem ain't with guys that are in the Philippines. I know about the guys that are right, right down the road. They want to dress down and not look. Uh, they said, they, I'm, not a, I'm not a David Jeremiah advocate, but I was watching, uh, he preached Charles Stanley's funeral. Uh, when obviously when Charles Stanley died, that's when usually when you preach funerals when somebody dies. <laughs> and uh, he said that a bunch of the and David Jeremiah's a Calvinist. He's not King James, okay? So I'm not endorsing. Him. I'm just telling you what he said. He said I get picked on a lot. He said because I always wear a suit and tie everywhere I everywhere I go in ministry. He said all my all my staff they make fun of me. And he said the reason I do that. He said my cardiologist. He said he's one of the world renowned doctors. He said I went to see him one day. He said I noticed he had on a three piece suit. All of his staff, the men had on three-piece suits, and the ladies had on below-the-knee dresses, and they were all dressed professionally. He said, and I asked him, Doc, why are y'all dressed in suits and dresses? He said, Dr. Jeremiah, what we do around here is important, and we want to look like it. Not bad for a Calvinist that got to leave the King James Bible, amen. But you know what? What we do around here is important. We all look like it, amen. God, how do I get on all that? But it involves, it involves a man, but then that man has been given a message. And that message is the Word of God. I try to be what is called, this don't mean nothing to anybody but the preacher, but I try to be what's called an expositional preacher. Somebody said, what's that? What I've just done. Preaching through a verse. Telling you what it says. Why? Because what I think about it really don't matter. And my stories and my illustrations that may or may not be true, they don't matter. But that word matters at the end of the day. And preaching involves only a man, not only involves a message, but involves a motive. What is the motive of preaching? Glorifying Jesus Christ, first of all. Equipping the saints and evangelizing sinners. I'm glad there's a promise that he said in Isaiah that his word would not return void. Sometimes you preach and you don't think anything's happening. But there is a promise in Isaiah 55:11 that His Word would not return void. I don't know what God's Word will do in this service today, but I do know that it's not going to come back and not accomplish what God sent it forth to do. So I said, Preacher, that's all good stuff, but that has nothing to do with me, alright? In closing this morning, how should you respond to preaching? I told you what preaching is and what preaching ought to be. But how should you respond to preaching? Five things quickly. I'm going to run through them quickly and we're going to eat. Number one, you ought to be in attendance. 
You ought to be there, be in attendance. You ought to be there when the preaching's going on. Around here, preaching starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Somebody says, that's Sunday school. We're still declaring the Word of God. I'm not talking to our guests this morning. I'm talking to the Safe Harbor folks. Amen. Uh, preaching, starts at, preaching starts at 10 for us around here. Amen. And then we preach again at 11. And then we preach again at 6 on Sunday nights. This week we're going to preach on Thursday night at 7. Amen. I say we ought to be in attendance. You can't hear it if you ain't here. And live stream ain't the same. Any of you that's had to watch live stream know it's not the same. You ought to be in attendance. Attendance. But after you're in attendance, you ought to be attentive. It means you ought to pay attention. You gotta listen. That's why you ought to bring your Bible to church. Amen. Hold, how many brought your Bibles? Say, hold them up. Let me see these Bibles this morning. How many brought your Bible this morning? I, I didn't bring mine. Well, bring it tonight. Amen. Why? Because this is what we're preaching. This is what we're talking about. We're not. I didn't bring out the TV guide. Do they still have that? I didn't bring out uh, the Reader's Digest. Do they still have that? I didn't bring out a newspaper. I hope they don't have that. I'm just telling you, I brought out the Word of God because that's what we're preaching today. You ought to pay attention. You ought to take notes. You ought to listen. I'll tell you what else you ought to do. You ought to be in attendance. You ought to be attentive. You ought to say Amen. Amen. You ought to say amen. It shouldn't just be one or two people saying amen. You know what amen means? I agree with that. Let it be so. And it keeps you engaged. Amen. It keeps you engaged in the service. You ought to adhere. It means you ought to obey what is preached. Not obeying the preacher. Obeying the preaching. And you ought to apply. You ought to apply what is preached. Here's what the book of James said, and I close this morning. James chapter number 1. Verse number 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Good sermon, preacher. And don't do anything with it on the way out the door. James said, don't you do that. The devil wants you to hear it. He just don't want you to do anything with it. He said, if you're just a hearer of the word and not a doer, you deceive your own self. You think you're okay because you come to church and you listen to the preaching. But James said, you're deceiving yourself. You've got to be a doer of what you hear. Watch verse 23, James 1.23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. In other words, this man's not just hearing what the preacher says. He's not just going through the motion. He's not just hearing what the Scripture says. He's doing something with it. I told you what preaching ought to be this morning. So I said, why would you preach a sermon like that when there's not that many preachers in the building? There's more, there's more normal people than there are preachers. You'll get that after a while. Well, I want you to know what preaching ought to sound like. So when it's not that, you know that's not preaching. Amen? But then I want you to know how you're to respond to preaching. You ought to be in attendance. That means we're going to be back tonight at 6 o'clock. Amen? That means when we get here, we're going to be attentive. We're going to be listening. That means when we get here, we're going to say amen. That means when we get here, we're going to try to obey what God speaks to us about. That means when we leave here, we're going to apply what we told him we was going to obey him about. How many times we make commitments in these altars and get out the door and never apply them? That's not properly responding to preaching. So, the altar call is going to be different this morning. As Brother Matthew comes to the piano, I preach 31 minutes. The altar call is going to be different this morning. 
This altar call, if you're here and you're not saved, we'd love to see you get saved. But here's, how I, here's what I want you to pray about this morning. Number one, I want you to pray for your preacher. That God would help me to preach the Word of God and be faithful to His Word. And number two, I want you to pray that God would help you to be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. You may want to come to the altar, you may want to pray there and you see. But as we stand this morning for prayer, that's the altar call this morning. What are you going to do with preaching? Pray for your preacher. Pray that God would help him to preach. Be faithful to the truth. As we pray, just a moment, God spoke to your heart today. These altars are open.